Let me tell you why I chose Anchor to host my podcast. First, it's free. It's one of the few hosts I found that really is free. They have all the tools that you need. You can make your podcast on a computer, or you can download their free app and make edits and uploads straight from your phone. So, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, I say download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. You have just entered Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence, here he is, U.S. Navy veteran, author of the book, Progress, Really? And your freedom-loving host, Peter Seraphine. Hello, welcome to Liberty Lighthouse. I'm your host, Peter Seraphine. Find me on Facebook and Twitter, at PSeraphine. Check out the show's website, liberty-lighthouse.com. Today we're going to be cutting through some fog and shining the light of common sense on some pretty obvious but slow and steady attacks to our republic. Attacks to the very fabric of what makes America great. We're going to talk a little bit about the Electoral College and what it is and how it works and why it's important. We're also going to talk about suffrage, the right to vote, and how that's been changing. First, we're going to talk about the 17th Amendment and how that drastically changed the balance of power within our republic. Before I jump into all of that, don't forget, click the send a voice message button uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, or go to liberty-lighthouse.com and click the send a voice message button there. And I'll use your messages on the next show. So let's start with the 17th Amendment. Most of us probably don't remember which amendment the 17th Amendment is. Well, that was the one that was passed in 1913 that changed how senators were elected. Before the 17th Amendment, the state legislatures of each state appointed or elected their two senators. And after the 17th Amendment, The senators were elected by popular vote. Now, this was partially a result of the first progressive movement in our country, and it was hailed as a victory for more direct democracy. Sounds great. More direct democracy can't be a bad thing, can it? Well, let's look at it for a minute. Almost everything about the U.S. Constitution is about balance of power, the three branches of government that balance each other out. The House, the Senate, and the Presidency were also supposed to be a balance of power. The House of Representatives were elected by we the people. The voters of each state elected their own representatives based on their little representative districts, and therefore the representatives went to Congress and represented their district. The Senate was appointed by the state legislatures thereby reporting back to the state legislators, representing each individual state. That gave the states power in Washington. So, we had a balance between we the people and the states that we live in. That balance was basically destroyed with the passing of the 17th Amendment. Now, everyone in Congress, senators and House of Representatives, is elected by the people. 
So who's representing the states? Well, no one. States have no more power in Washington. I'm a big believer in a Thomas Jefferson quote, the government closest to the people serves the people best. That was one of the reasons the House of Representatives was set up the way it was. Districts are relatively small. You can actually know who you're electing. If you don't know them, I bet they have an office right down the street from you someplace. But your senators now represent your entire state. They don't have the same connection to the people. And they're there for six years, at least, and usually lose whatever connection they may have started out with. So you might think, why do I care if the state has any power in Washington? One huge reason is the Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment says that any power not specifically enumerated within the Constitution itself for the federal government is reserved for the states and the people. Without the states having representation in Washington, they no longer have a way to check that. Our federal government stomps all over the Tenth Amendment all the time. Simple example. Uh, in the mid-1980s, President Ronald Reagan, one of my favorite presidents, but he really overstepped on this one. Anyway, in the mid-1980s, President Ronald Reagan decided that he wanted the legal drinking age in all of the United States to be 21. Well, in the 1980s, there were still a few states where the legal drinking age was 18. Well, the federal government doesn't have any authority to mandate a drinking age. So what did President Reagan do to exert his will? He extorted the states. He threatened to withhold a portion of the federal highway funds from any state that didn't have a legal drinking age of at least 21. That's just downright extortion. But our states didn't have power in Washington to point it out, to stand up against it, or to call, hey, that's a violation of the Tenth Amendment. President Barack Obama did something similar when he decided that the transgenders being allowed to use whatever bathroom they wanted was a uh, pet project of his. He threatened to withhold federal education money if states didn't allow transgenders to choose which bathroom they use. Again, the federal government has no authority in this area. But without states having any power in Washington to stand up and scream Tenth Amendment violation, the presidents resort to extortion and they get what they want. You know, I seem to remember in my history books, there was a really nasty war in our country that was primarily about states' rights over federal rights. Have we forgotten that already? Basically what I'm saying here is that I think the 17th Amendment was a huge mistake. I think that it destroyed the balance of power, it taking away all power from our states within the federal government, and creating a federal government that's basically unstoppable which is exactly what the Founding Fathers were afraid of. They wrote our Constitution so that states had equal representation as we the people. Each House of Congress has its jobs. The members of the two houses were given different powers and were elected by different groups so that those different powers stayed separate. Our nation is not a democracy. 
It never was a democracy. It was never intended to be a democracy. The word democracy does not appear anywhere in the 4,500 words of our U.S. Constitution. We are a republic. That means that we have different bodies that represent different groups with different powers. But the 17th Amendment has destroyed that. So, my basic summary here, 17th Amendment was bad. It should never have been passed, and now it should be repealed. Tell me what you think at P. Seraphine on Facebook and Twitter, or liberty-lighthouse.com. Click send a voice message. Now let's talk about suffrage for a minute, or the right to vote. Obviously important thing. How important? Well, our Constitution has 27 amendments, three of which deal with suffrage. And to give you an idea of how hard it is to pass an amendment to our Constitution, so far, almost 12,000 amendments have been proposed, and only 27 have passed. So to have three amendments on one topic, suffrage, the right to vote, that should be a pretty good indicator of how important suffrage is. Why am I including this in an episode about the erosion of our republic? Well, because just recently I saw a news article that reported that Burlington, Vermont, Senator Bernie Sanders' hometown, just joined a long list of municipalities in 12 states and the District of Columbia that are now allowing non-citizens the right to vote, at least in local elections. Do you think it's going to stop there? Do you really think that progress is going to say, oh, well, let's let non-citizens vote in local elections, and that'll be okay. Have we ever seen progress make a win for their column and stop there? I think that these municipalities are then going to lobby and get the right of non-citizens to vote in state elections. And then the states will join together and try to get the right to vote extended to national elections. Think about the fight that U.S. citizens had to go through in order to get the right to vote. Black people, former slaves, had to fight in order to be able to vote after the Civil War. Then the women's suffrage movement went on for years before women were allowed to vote. Then the third suffrage amendment, setting the federal age at 18 years old, how long did those young people fight saying, hey, I can join the military and I can go fight and die for my country, but I can't vote for the elected officials? Now, progress wants to hand the right of suffrage to non-citizens? Not only are non-citizens being allowed to vote in municipalities all over our country, there are some that are trying to lower the age to 16. At 16, I didn't give a crap about politics, and I still thought that communism sounded like a perfect utopia if you could eliminate the corruption that usually went along with it. Allowing non-citizens to vote is probably the craziest thing I've ever heard. I don't think any country in the history of our planet has ever allowed non-citizens to vote. But that's what progress wants for America. I know if my town proposed allowing non-citizens or changing the age to 16, 
I would be staunchly against it. I would protest. I would take vacation from work and stand outside the municipal building with signs telling them how stupid they are. I think the most troubling thing is that Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, the nation's capital, is allowing non-citizens to vote in local elections. Well, they're also part of the next segment, too. Okay, I think that's enough on suffrage. I'm starting to get a little too worked up to be recording. So, again, as always, if you would like to voice your opinion, I'd love to hear it. Click the send a voice message button on your podcast provider or go to liberty-lighthouse.com. I'm going to take a quick break here. When we return, we're going to move on to the Electoral College and how it's being attacked right underneath our noses. Are you fed up with progressive society? I'm Peter Serafine, and my frustration led me to write a short book titled Progress Really? Progress Really is about the past, current, and future state of American culture, government, and social standing. I urge every liberty-loving American to visit my website, seraphine.com, and order a copy. Give Progress Really a quick read and some serious thought. That was seraphine.com, S-E-R-E-F-I-N-E.com. Order your copy today. Welcome back. Now let's spend some time talking about that mystical thing known as the Electoral College. When I was a kid, I thought that the Electoral College existed just because the technology to count the popular vote didn't exist when the Constitution was written. It really didn't make any sense to me that we had to have this Electoral College thing in order to elect a president. Now that we had computers that could count the popular vote in no time at all. Of course, now that I'm an adult, I realize that the Electoral College has absolutely nothing to do with counting the popular vote or the technology needed to do so. The Electoral College exists so that all the states, not just the big populous states, get a voice in electing our president. Let's talk a little bit about how the Electoral College works. Well, each state is given the number of members of the Electoral College that they have representation in Washington. For example, if your state has two senators, like all states do, and six members of the House of Representatives, then your state gets eight votes in the Electoral College. Washington, D.C., though not a state, gets three Electoral College votes. So just like almost everything else about the U.S. Constitution, the Electoral College exists to balance power. The Electoral College allows smaller states and states with smaller populations to still have a significant say in the election of the president. Without the Electoral College, no presidential candidate would ever bother leaving the heavily populated cities and states during their campaign. They would never focus a policy on anything that didn't affect heavily populated cities and states. They would have no reason to even care what rural Americans thought about their campaigns or their platforms. They would never have to leave big cities or big city ideas in order to get elected. As I said earlier, the United States 
is a republic. It is not a democracy. One of the ways that we remain a republic is by protecting our electoral college. There's been a lot of talk about eliminating the electoral college, and I'm sure that there's even been proposals put into Congress to eliminate the electoral college. And when that hasn't worked, well, now there's even a movement to make the electoral college moot. James Madison said, the purpose of the Constitution is to restrict the majority's ability to harm the minority. And that's exactly what the Electoral College is for. It's no secret that the people in big cities have different values and look at life differently than rural people. It's not a surprise at all. They live differently. And without the Electoral College, the people in those big cities could force their agenda upon the rest of the country. Four states have enough electoral votes to take every election if they were to join together and always vote the same way. And that is exactly the threat that is coming to our republic right now. The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact is trying to do just that. Fifteen states and Washington, D.C., have all joined the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, which they all pledge to give all of their electoral votes to whomever wins the popular vote. And not the popular vote within their state or district. They all pledge to give all of their electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote, thereby making the Electoral College moot and electing every president from now until eternity by national popular vote, effectively turning the United States of America into a direct democracy or a pure democracy, eliminating us as a republic. We were set up as a republic intentionally. Our founding fathers knew the evils of pure democracy. Pure democracy worked great, small-scale, local government. It has never worked on a large scale like an entire country. Pure democracy existed. Our founding fathers were aware of it. They knew it was a bad idea. That is why we were designed as a republic. In a pure democracy, the roughly 80% of Americans who live in metropolitan areas would be able to force their way of life, their agenda, their ideals on the 20% of America that doesn't live in cities. It may sound like a good idea to allow the 80% majority to rule as they see fit, but the rural people, though much smaller in number, hold and take up a much, much greater geographic space of our country. If you were to uh, look at a population map, you would see the pockets around the cities in one color and the rest of the country in another color. I would venture to say that the country is more than 90% rural. So the Electoral College exists to make sure that the states that are more rural still have a voice in getting our president elected. Someone put forth a bill here in Pennsylvania where I'm broadcasting from that wanted Pennsylvania to join the Interstate National Popular Vote Compact. 
I immediately sent links to a blog post that I had written on that topic to all of my state officials and said, this is a very bad idea. Let's ignore the population gap and the rural versus urban stuff for a minute. Let's just look at one state, any one state, a state that has joined the national popular vote interstate compact has basically said to the people of their state, I don't care what you think, what you think and what the way you voted doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the national popular vote. These state legislators are no longer representing the people of their districts. They no longer represent the citizens of the states that elected them. They now don't care about anything except the national popular vote. If you live in one of the states that has signed this, you should be outraged that your state would even consider such a thing. You voted these people into office. You gave them their jobs. And what they're doing is saying, we don't need you anymore. We're going with the national popular vote. Screw my state and how my state voted. So on a big scale, you're destroying the entire electoral college, tearing at the very fabric of our republic and trying to turn us into a democracy. On the smaller scale, you're saying screw you to the voters that put you in office. So in summary of the Electoral College, we need it. It is part of what makes America, America. The United States needs the Electoral College. We must defend it. And if you live in one of these states that has signed the interstate compact for the national popular vote, you need to speak up and tell your state representatives that that is an insanity and that they absolutely must withdraw from this compact to, for the good of our nation. And if your state is considering joining the national popular vote interstate compact like my state was considering it, speak up. Let your state elected officials know how you feel about it. Let them know that your vote is important more important to them than the national popular vote. If you have questions, comments, or concerns about this little chat about the Electoral College, click the Leave Me a Voice Message button on your podcast provider. Go to liberty-lighthouse.com and click the Leave a Voice Message. I will address your messages, I promise, and I'll put as many of them as I can on the next show. So today, I was discussing three significant things that are attacking our republic. You may ask, well, what's that have to do with my personal liberties? Isn't that supposed to be the focus of Liberty Lighthouse? My liberty? Well, if our republic falls, all of our liberties will be gone. Democracy is basically mob rule. And we can look around. Mobs never rule well. I usually talk about protecting one of our liberties. Today, I'm talking about defending all of our liberties. So in brief summary for today, we should try to have the 17th Amendment repealed, give states back a little bit of power in Washington, D.C. 
take a little bit of that power back from the federal government. Suffrage needs to be protected. It should not be handed out to children, and the right to vote should not be given to non-citizens. And our electoral college is vital to our republic. Protect all of these things. I'm going to wrap it up for today. Please, if you like Liberty Lighthouse, subscribe to it through your favorite podcast provider. Send me voice messages and become part of the show. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter at P. Seraphine. And don't forget, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. <laughs>